0: Welcome to the Maxmooth Theater and Performance Podcast. This is our year-end extravaganza episode when all of our most frequent contributors gather to discuss the year that was, the best and the worst. This is the first half of our two-part year-end episode. Next week, we'll share part two, listener questions.
1: Enjoy the show up
2: i gotta see all the things
0: okay yeah. we. i also
1: rarely go pay recording.
3: to go the movies which, why are we recording them? which
2: section of moonlight was the play was it the first one i have mm-hmm. no idea i think so because oh, that's a, someone that talks about
3: moonlight yeah it's based right. on one of Terrell's plays
0: oh i didn't yeah. know that let's start with introduction you blew it
1: wow Right out of the gate
0: <laughs> oh that's this is going to go
4: so well. It's not going to be a cluster at all. Put down the Bloody Mary, Lindsay. <laughs> that's a
0: virgin Bloody Mary. <laughs> Why do you just drink so tomato it's like, juice? Because, I was going to say, that's like so gazpacho. Because it's spicier. It's spicier. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's gazpacho. It's gazpacho. <laughs> it's, gazpacho it's less thick than gazpacho, spicier than tomato juice. It's perfect.
3: <laughs> like the perfect beverage for a Sunday morning. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Keep all of that. Nonsense. Let's start with introductions, Jack.
1: Hello, I'm Jack. I am the literary associate at the Public Theater in New York City. My views are my own. Where are you from, Jack? I'm from the great city of Washington D.C., which is the nation's capital.
3: Awesome. Deep. Oh, goody! I need to know more people in D.C. I need housing. Uh, are you moving? No, 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 not moving. I'm, I'm going to the protest in oh. January, so I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, who can I hit up? because hotels are expensive. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, hello, I am Deep Tran, associate editor at American Theater Magazine. I may be a bit hungover right now, so this is going to be awesome.
0: <laughs> Where are you from, Deep?
3: Oh, California, Orange County, Anaheim, the home, of, the home of Disneyland.
0: I don't think we have any native New Yorkers here. Jose?
5: Not a native New Yorker. <laughs> uh-uh. Okay, David. I'm Jose from Stage Betty, and is it my turn? Oh, I was born in Honduras, and then I lived in Costa Rica for a while, and now I'm here. Uh,
2: David Levy internet personality and provocateur <laughs> and uh, I come to you from the great state of Massachusetts
4: all right I'm Liz and I fuck yeah great plays i anything else to be that's me and
2: um, bloody date night Bloody, day, and bloody day night. night. Hell yeah.
4: stage and candor there we go okay so there's mm-hmm. some things and I, equity stage manager equity stage manager <laughs> uh, and i grew up in san antonio texas moved to bentonville and then rogers arkansas and then to houston and then to new york
0: all right, and I'm Lindsay, the person responsible for editing of this podcast. So if it sounds crappy, I'm <laughs> to blame, but I will pass all that blame along to the contributors <laughs> who couldn't keep their hands off the table. <laughs> Where are you from? I am from Centerville, Utah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what wow. is a With a heavy sigh. All right. Our first question is, if you had relatives, smart ones who enjoy good theater, coming to town for the holidays, what show currently playing in New York City would you recommend? Jack.
1: Uh, well, uh, smart ones coming to town. Uh, I, I mean, there's... Well, uh, here's what I would recommend... <laughs> othello at new york theater workshop i just saw it last week i mean it's impossible to get tickets so they need to be rich
0: ones in addition that can <laughs> yeah, buy tickets yeah. on the secondary market uh,
1: yeah if you're rich go uh go see that do you um, have
3: rich relatives no um, wow, that sucks. Why would you do that to them?
1: <laughs> I, I just, it, it's the first thing that came to my mind because like, a lot of my favorite stuff this year has closed already, yes. so it's a, yeah. it's a shame. Othello's pretty good. Um, I was really um, astonished by it. If only because, here's why, um, like, when relatives come to town, at least my relatives, they want to see something with fancy people in it. Mm-hmm. And the the fanciest people are in Othello right now. And it's also a good production of the play. So that would be my... Recommendation as opposed to like recommending something that they would never actually want to see.
3: Cool, deep. Um, I really wanted to see Viet Gone, but as of this recording, it has closed. Well, it's closing today. Sunday. So yeah, and my family's Asian, so they never go to the theater unless I drag them to it, because I do that. But my my dad loved the movie Waitress. He has really odd taste. Sometimes he loves he loves action movies and and the movie Waitress. <laughs> so I feel like I would take him to the musical version of Waitress. That that might that might be fun cool. if I could talk him into buying a hundred dollar ticket, which probably would not happen because he is also. He was also poor, like me.
0: So, theater is hard, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so when relatives come to town, they often put aside a special amount of money for the New York experience of visiting the theater. Like, Mm. my family, when they come to visit, definitely spend more money during their week of seeing theater than I typically spend in an entire month. Yeah,
3: that's why my family doesn't come visit me very often. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: right. Okay, Jose. I
5: would actually go with Waitress as well, because I, I would be like, I don't. They would be like, can we go see like Mormon or like Phantom? And I would be like, fuck no, because and then like Waitress is as good, even better, probably musically and like every, uh, every artistic level. It's like such a great musical, and also I could be like, and there's a famous person in it who won a Tony, and you know the movie, so you know it's win-win, and yeah.
2: You have an interesting definition of famous.
3: <laughs> Theater famous. It's the best kind of famous. Like, who's a
2: famous person to waitress? Is that girl from Glee still in it? <laughs> um, I, I have three, <laughs> um, depending on who they are. So my, my Broadway suggestion is Falsettos. Uh, I just love that show so much, and I think that it needs to be seen. Uh, my off-Broadway musical is The Band's Visit, which I think... Uh, because it hasn't opened yet is flying a little bit under the radar but I just thought it was like the best of what Off-Broadway can do uh, telling a great story that is not the kind of story that you would necessarily encounter just you know watching TV or going to Hollywood movies and uh, I just I really really liked it and think hope that lots of people get to see it uh, and then for the for like the fluff suggestion is Puffs because uh, I love that show so much. It's been almost a year since I saw it. But I, I try really hard for this episode to not concentrate on things that I've only seen like in November, December. So there you go. Do
3: you have Potterheads in your family?
2: I do. I mean, not like not not obsessively so, but I don't think you need to be an obsessive Potterhead to like that show. I think no, you I, I, I went to be and familiar. Saw yeah, yeah, I
4: went and saw it and I'm not a Harry Potter person. But I still had a good time.
3: So how can you not be a Harry Potter person? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We, 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 we should talk. <laughs> uh,
4: I was actually also going to say Gone, but mm-hmm. ignoring the fact that it's closing today. Um, because when I go to the theater with my family, it's usually my dad who's driving. The, like He's the one who really wants to go see all the shows and what's going on. So Gone, I feel like it's like what my dad would really enjoy seeing. But if it's closing, I have to pick something else. I haven't seen it, but I feel like it's right would be Oh, Hello. Um That's like something my dad and I wouldn't do. It's that same weirdo sense of humor that my dad and I share, and I think we'd enjoy it.
1: It seems like a dad show. Seeing it this afternoon, it is the show I am most excited to see this year, without question.
0: None of the shows that are on my top 10 of the year list are still playing, but the one show that I really liked that is having an encore presentation is The Wolves from Playwrights Realm by by Sarah DeLapp. I very much enjoyed that show. We talked about it on the pod. I would send relatives to that without hesitation. The show I am interested in seeing that I haven't seen yet that's still playing is Falsettos. I would really like to visit that if I can afford a ticket or win the lottery, fingers crossed.
2: When you enter the lottery, if you lose, they send you a discount code, which is pretty good, yep. which I've yeah. used and got oh, very good seats.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. What was your favorite moment at the theater this year? Deep, we'll start with you. Awesome. Are we just, like, starting every question, like,
3: like telephone? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. My favorite moment was at Sweet Charity when I was in the front row, and so Sutton Foster, like, sat down right in front of me to, like, put her shoes back on. <laughs> And I could like almost touch her and I didn't because I have self-control sometimes. (laughs) So that was, that was a standout. And then what else did I, yeah. And yeah, it was a standout in like a very uneven production, which, and I don't, I don't understand Sweet Charity. I I just like a musical. I really, I don't, I, what what is the, what is the point? Well, you gotta remember
2: that it's based on Fellini. And so it's already starting at a weird point.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, it's it's kind of like Forrest Gump, like it's it's like a woman and weird things just happen to her, and like there's, there's a thing she really wants, but she doesn't really get it. It's it's uh, it's, it's a really odd, pointless musical. But <laughs> Sutton Foster sitting in front of me was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that was my highlight. And another highlight was just like it was. It's just like one of those. You, you ever go to theater? I mean, you go. We go. We go to a lot of theater, and so like, but you ever think back on your year, and and there's just like little moments that really that just stick in your mind, just because like they were just just so beautifully, you know. Like configured on stage, and the ending of familiar was that for me this year. Just like no one said anything. It was just like this re- beautiful, quiet, culturally specific moment at the end of this really dramatic and powerful play, and so, I really, yeah. And, like, that's been sticking in my head for, like, like the ever since I saw it in February. So that was really, yeah, I really like that play. Nice.
5: I love West Side Story so much. Like, I could talk about it forever. And my absolute favorite moment this year was when Carnegie Hall did, a, a, yeah. like, a weekend-long West Side Story crazy performance at the Knockdown Center. And uh, one of my, if not my favorite, like, musical sequence of all time, like, ever and ever and ever, it's the dance at the gym in West Side Story where they like, I don't know, I'm not going to do the dance. But, uh, so my <laughs> yes, absolute favorite, favorite, You could have said you were doing it, people wouldn't know because they so can't you see you. You did
0: wave your arms around a little bit. Like I'll I was do it with like, you like your on. skirt a little do the choreography.
5: So yeah, my favorite, my favorite moment was seeing Bianca Marroquin, who is uh, so, uh, I love Bianca Marroquin so much. And I grew up seeing her work on TV because she was in Mexico. So the fact that I got to see someone who I kind of grew up seeing, you know, like finally doing uh, the role of a lifetime according to her in this like amazing Carnegie Hall production, it just, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. I think mine is from seeing
2: the color purple. But it's not the moment that everyone talks about of I'm Here, which is like the big release and emotional moment. It's actually the song Miss Pants, which is a number that uh, in the original production just sort of felt like a throwaway moment. But in this, it was was the moment where this character who's for her whole life been denied joy and denied power gets to express both simultaneously in just like the most colorful, joyous way. And... the energy coming off the stage was incredible and the energy coming out of the audience was incredible. And it was just one of those like only in live theater kind of experiences. And it was just amazing.
4: Okay. So mine's a little bit different, I guess, interpretation of this question. So um, I went and saw waitress by myself because I was able to get one ticket and I was sitting up in the balcony next to this woman who was also there by herself and I mean it's, just, it's a beautiful production the whole thing. I really enjoyed it. And they get to she used to be mine, which is of course the very emotional ballad and she starts going and then I'm crying. I cried a lot at the theater this year just when we have that question later constantly at the theater this year. Um, so like I was crying and this woman next to me is crying. And we're both just like really experiencing it and the song ends and she leans over she goes, "Do you
3: want a milk dud?" <laughs> <laughs> and
4: I go, and "I went" So she dumps them out and she hands them to me. And I was just like, I don't know. I just, the reason I love live theater so much is because you're there with other people. And this, it was like, oh, we just went through this thing and we feel great. And like, ah, I don't know. It was just like a really touching, human, weird moment in the middle of this show that just, I don't know. I just, I loved that.
0: That's lovely. Humanity. It may save us yet. Okay, my favorite moment was the performance of the song Wait For Me at Hades Town at New York Theater Workshop. This is the musical by songwriter Aeneas Mitchell and director Rachel Chavkin. And this moment in the story of Orpheus and Eurydice is when Eurydice has gone to Hades and Orpheus is chasing her. And singing this song that's kind of a spoken aloud promise to her. She's not uh, in the space and can't hear what he's saying, but he's saying, wait for me, I'm coming for you. And he's going on this very dangerous journey to try to find her. And it's just such a lovely song. And then the staging was so beautiful. Mm. It had these lamps suspended from the ceiling and the fates manually swung them in unison and I just thought it was so gorgeous and after I saw it I just wanted to see it again so I went back and then by happenstance I went back a third time so (laughs) I really but it's this moment in this play that makes me love it so much I think this song is so gorgeous and you can hear it it is on the pre-release version of the cast album that's available on Spotify. And I've listened to it on repeat over and over and over. I just think it's so beautiful, but it's really the combination of the song and the performance and the staging. I give credit to all the creative team and the performers who are involved in that moment in that play.
1: Yeah. That's a hell of a moment. Um, My, uh, I had a lot of interesting moments at the theater this year, Um, but the one that I don't think I'm ever going to forget is at about eleven thirty a.m. into a tw- at, uh, at the final hour of a twenty-four hour performance, uh, Taylor Max, uh, twenty-four decade history of popular music that Lindsay and I attended at uh, Saint Anne's Warehouse, and it was the moment of peak delirium. Everyone had already had their second and third wins of staying up for twenty-four hours. And it was the first moment that I felt tired in the whole time because I was just jacked full of coffee and beer. I mean, why should that day be any different? And uh, <laughs> and I just I remember everyone was kind of starting to pass out, and it was the final hour where it was just Taylor on stage, and I for some reason like found a position on a platform off to the side of is where the um, the burlesque dancers had been earlier in the, I'm looking mm-hmm. at Lindsay when I say this. And uh, I was just standing up there above the crowd who were all basically like lying down or collapsed in some sort of <laughs> human heap. And I was just watching this tired performer kind of closing out the greatest performance, solo performance I think I've ever seen in my life. And I was just so happy to be in theater. I was so happy that this is what I do for a living and I felt very grateful and very tired and very delirious. And I was like, I want to live in this moment forever. Yeah, that was it.
0: That's lovely, Jack. Okay, shifting gears, what was the worst moment at the theater this year, Jose?
5: Okay, so it was November 9th. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and that's, specific. Yeah, that's very Setting specific. the scene. Yeah, uh, I, it had taken me two hours to leave my bed that morning, but I had to go work and be an adult. Then I did something that I had to do in the morning. And then I went and I told my friend, I am going to your house and I'm taking a nap with your dog, which I did for five hours. Then I got on a train to go see the front page on Broadway. Carl Rove was there. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is quite a story. David.
2: I may have. Told this story on the last episode of the podcast, but I went to see Hamilton on Broadway uh, last month and seated next to us was a child too young to be at the theater who was not interested in the show with with his mother who was more interested in her child than in the show or the people around them. And it was like watching it with the DVD commentary track from a different show running at the same time. It was Mm. so so aggravating luckily they moved for the second half but oh my god it was it, it, it gets to the point where like even when they're not talking you're so on edge waiting for them to talk again uh, it was uh, you know and, and for a show that like you know i bought tickets a year in advance for it was so frustrating
4: did this child have it, their own seat yes jesus yeah they, <laughs> they like took off
2: lot. took off his shoes which i know you talked about on this episode oh, last god, year god i hate when people do that <laughs> That's a
3: it's like, and if you're gonna be, if you're, if you're rich enough to afford tickets to Hamilton, you're also rich enough to have a babysitter. Well, what that's, it, I mean, like, if these were two hundred
2: dollars seats. Seat for a baby. Yeah, exactly. Like, for two hundred dollars, yeah. that kid could be having a wonderful day elsewhere. Exactly.
4: <laughs> so, mine is, as you may remember, the last class, the Jazzercise play that I volunteered to be a jazzer person in the show. Uh, to take the Jazzercise class that they discuss. That actually is not the worst part of this story. The worst part of the story is that um, like the Jazzercise class was fun and I'm glad that I did it but when everyone all the audience came in and took their seats, Geneva Carr was directly behind me, which means my butt was like two feet from her <laughs> the entire show. And I felt really self-conscious about it because I really like her. And it was just,
2: just
1: like this sounds <laughs> like a great story. Wait a minute. Why is this the
4: worst? Oh my god, it was just so embarrassing. And then when it
2: showed up on YouTube. And then- <laughs>
4: I just saw you at Hand of God and you were so good. And here I am dancing. <laughs> it was just. a show
1: business for you right yeah. there. I One know. minute well, you're on afters- Broadway.
4: How do they do that? <laughs> I guess they're not two feet from them, I suppose. Yeah. But. but that's what
3: happens when you're a performer. You have to like put it all out. They, to put it, uh, and I did. That's
4: why. I did. Yeah. But I'm sure that's why you're backstage. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> but yeah. So that was uh, something I did this year.
0: I was going to mention. For this question, the two shows that I left at intermission this year, oh. but I'm saving that because it's part of our listener questions in the second half. So, for my worst moment at the theater, I'm going with the toenail clipping in the play. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for for Lindsay uh, for those in the back who didn't hear you. Oh my
6: God! Don't.
1: Oh for those. God. Down at the table. <laughs> For those of us currently suffering from a stroke, could you say that again, please?
0: Okay. Do Dave. not touch the table. <laughs> I'm sorry. David's not gonna I'm going, going to survive this David. I am going to repeat my answer, but please do not respond by touching the table, which is the toenail clipping in the play A Life at Playwrights Horizons. Mm. I was in the front row. <laughs> And I was in real danger of getting hit by a remnant, oh, and I God. almost threw up.
2: <laughs> oh, so at least I was an actor, wasn't like an audience member, which is what I immediately thought. I was thought. Even <laughs> an audience member too, and I thought, oh no, took. And that like, tells I mean, you what I think of New York audiences. <laughs>
4: It takes what? the people taking their shoes off to like the next what? level. Oh, God.
3: <laughs> but it's David Hyde Pierce's toenail <laughs> clipping, so it can let... It...
0: How does he grow
2: toenails fast
0: <laughs>
3: enough I'm to sure do that they at every... <laughs> they're really
0: fakes. They're press-ons. Yeah, I am sure. I bet they're press-ons. Because they, they do it at every play. Every, yeah, I mean,
2: granted, toenails
3: grow really quickly, so... Yeah, you have press-ons? Or, uh,
2: yeah, you know, I, some I, I, I imagine of... they're clipping press-ons. Clipping press-ons is hard, though.
0: They're probably not actual press-ons. They're probably a special stage for the purpose yeah, of this. Yeah, stage toenails. Maybe you know, yes. we need to get Shout their to stage manager in to give us the secrets. Yeah. The secrets behind the toenail clipping of a life. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> can,
2: we, can we change the subject now?
3: <laughs>
6: okay,
0: so Jack. I'm guessing you
3: don't get
1: pedicures. <laughs> I I struggle to think about this, but I have I have a vivid memory from really only a, a couple months ago, which is, and I'm not going to name names. Uh, which I think I did last year as well. Um, But actually, this has nothing really to do with the show, except to say that I was at a show off-Broadway that was written by and largely produced by, uh, the creative team was by people of color. And the cast was largely people of color. The audience, however, as perhaps is predictable in New York off-Broadway, was mostly white. And at intermission of this show, I was seated around uh, some fellow white people who did not like this show very much. And I listened to them talk about why they didn't like the show. And it had everything. To, and they were judging the creative team's race as a way of discussing the merits of the show. Yeah. And the thing that struck me about it was that it wasn't whispered the way that white people tend to do. When you know, the, the, It wasn't like a, a hushed thing. It was full-throated. And I was like, you guys feel really comfortable talking like this at intermission, and I—that was a—and I—I I, kind of had forgotten. It kind of grossed me out, and then I forgot about it. And then after the election, obviously, I, I, I keep thinking about it because as much as we talk about like, oh well, those people are over there And that part of the, you know, kind of thing, I was like, no man, they were off Broadway with me, and I was just yeah. So that was the—I know that that's not. I was trying to think of like a funny one, but that's—that was the worst. That was—that was hard.
0: Yeah, that's horrible. All right, deep. Uh, I
3: feel like I'm not as perceptive as you guys about the people around me. Maybe because i re- blessing. Yeah, maybe because I just <laughs> really need I just really like blocking people out when I'm in public. But because like the only the worst thing I I saw this year was, you know, Smokefall by Noah Noah Hadel, but only because it's like you're ever because I see a lot of readings. And so whenever you it's like I saw the reading of this, this play like three years ago, and I really loved the reading. And then I saw the production. And I'm just like, oh my god, you rewrote it, and I don't like it anymore. And I've been looking forward to this, for, forward to seeing this play for like three years, and you you disappointed me so hard. So I don't like I don't like it when artists disappoint me, <laughs> or when they they just, they make their turn the feminist play into like a lame, you know, father son, you know, exploration. Like you know, everyone does that. A <laughs> novel in the theater. Anyhow, yeah. No, I, yeah. Deep, don't
2: you understand that being a white man is hard? <laughs> if you don't, I have some plays you can watch about that.
1: Some oh. subscriptions you can.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh man! I'll
0: be good. Couldn't bite his tongue any longer. I <laughs> love it. Okay. What was your favorite non traditional, for example, immersive, experimental, outdoors on a boat piece of theater you saw this year, David?
2: This might be cheating because I don't know how non traditional it was, but I'm going to talk about Stacey Ann Chin's Mother Struck, which was.
6: Yes. Uh,
2: you know, technically it was a one woman show, but it, it was really right on the line between a one woman show in like sort of the theatery sense and a spoken word performance and a storytelling show. And it was just incredible she has lived a tremendous life she has a lot of perception about the world and a gift at putting that into words and movement to to bring us all into these experiences it just it's the show that she did it in new york and then she started taking to other cities and every time i found out which city she was in i would contact all my friends in that city and make sure they went to see it
4: that's so funny because I actually listed that for the next it's favorite non-theater performance. Oh, okay. I love that show. No, I thought that was the show was fantastic. But so my favorite non-traditional, I think, was Yesterday Tomorrow, uh, which we went and saw way back in January. Way back. Who knew I'd enjoy an hour of listening people listening to people repeat the same song over and over, especially when it's Tomorrow by the Beatles and Yesterday from Annie Witcher 2. No, backwards. <laughs> backwards, Yesterday Tomorrow, Tomorrow Yesterday. Both yes, of them. Yesterday is the Beatles. Right.
2: Tomorrow is from Annie.
4: Oh, yeah. Well, See? I just melded them together. God, I can you imagine how
2: depressing <laughs> Annie would be if her anthem was about yesterday instead of about tomorrow? That, that's Annie for the that's Trump America. Exactly. <laughs> the sun came out yesterday. <laughs> yes, but...
4: Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it was such an odd show. But I loved it, and I still think about it sometimes and how fascinating
0: that was and what an undertaking that is for the performers. And just... blew me away. I'm so glad you both mentioned each of your shows because I think those are fantastic and I'm glad they're getting a shout out on the end of your episode. My favorite was Fly by Night. This was the Duke Riley outdoor performance with 2000 Pigeons at the Navy Yard presented by Creative Time. I was quite cynical going into this and I will concede entirely that I was wowed and overjoyed by the pigeon performance it was so fun and it just brought out this like youthful exuberance in everyone in the audience i had a ton of fun at it and it was totally original and unique i'd never seen anything like that and highly doubt i ever will again did
2: people get pooped on
0: i did not see anyone get pooped on but i'm sure that happened
2: Mm.
3: spotter zone and also i think jose would love that show you love birds, don't you?
1: <laughs> all oh right, I remember. Yes. Yes.
6: We talked about that.
1: Yeah. I'm, I've learned so much about Jose this year, and every fact I learn about you is just makes me so happy. I don't know what it is.
5: Um, and yeah, like ways to torture me in the future. Or
1: yeah, <laughs> absolutely, all blackmail, all of it. Um, obviously, I mean, like, I guess, I guess Taylor Mac kind of qualifies in this. I mean, that kind of goes without saying. I had, I mean, this isn't. The most interesting experience I had at a uh, non-traditional thing was I just saw a... Adaptation of James Joyce's *The Dead*.
2: Oh, you! Liz is going to jump across the table know, and sprinkle
1: you.
4: I'm going to slap those glasses off of your face. <laughs> it's a, why?
1: <laughs> Wait, why? I'm curious. No, because
4: I just talked about it on the December preview.
0: And because the how tickets much are I like to go, and it's so expensive
4: That is
1: true. So um, tell us
0: because this no, might I'm, be my FOMO show.
1: I'm no, well, okay, but no. The, here's like, here's the reason I want to bring it up is because it's interesting because it takes place in the uh, American Irish Historical Society, which is up on uh, 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 on Central Park and. It is. It was the most convincing immersive theater, like in terms of like just dramaturgy of Dublin, nineteen oh four, that I've ever been in. Like I was drinking port and stuff, and it was it, it it was so convincing. Except for the fact that I'm in a room with a bunch of you know like upper east side like new yorkers and that juxtaposition made me la- it, it, it was like a meta show within a show mm. i loved watching uh that demographic of new york theater goer like pretending and mm-hmm. like play <laughs> acting like like getting like like trying to be like in, you know in dublin in 1904 and then- Having to explain to them that the reason that there were no vegetables at dinners because there were no vegetables in Dublin, in <laughs> like it was hilarious and wonderful, and so like I just that was such a I was having so much fun by myself in that show, so that that was the one that stuck. But obviously Taylor Mack was just like that's twenty thousand of those <laughs> if so, rolled into one.
2: So the dead is basically Tony and Tina's wedding for snobs. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so? <laughs> the food was great, too. That was the other thing about it. Um, yeah, and great me- and great performances, too. Can you give me a ticket? No.
0: Damn it. All right. Okay,
3: Deep. It wasn't my favorite of the year, but it was just... It was like a, a fortifying moment in my relationship with my boyfriend. <laughs> and it, this was the Grand Paradise by Third Rail Project, so that immersive experience where it's like a 70s resort, and you kind of wander around, and, you know, people people undress in front of you and touch you and all, all, all that fun immersive theater type things. And for me, it wasn't like the best of the, of the immersive theater experiences that Third Rail has done. But it's fine. You know, they're trying to do something new, so I give them props for that. But there was one moment. So my, my boyfriend's not a very adventurous theater goer, and he's the very traditional, you know, if it's on Broadway and it's Book of Mormon or Hamilton, he will see it. But the rest of it, I just had to drag him to, which is awesome. So uh, so he's never been to an immersive theater show, and I didn't really tell him much about it, just just the uh, actors may talk to you, so uh, keep that in mind. And he was up for it, which says something about him, and we were dating six, at, we were like at month six of our relationship at the time. And there's this moment, and he, he stuck by me the entire time. I was like, no, go, no, go away. <laughs> I, I, I need to do my own thing, but yeah. Once again, not adventurous there to go away. And so there's one moment where we're both taken in taken into a hotel mo- that motel room scene where the dancer undresses in front of you. And so so I'm waiting for the for the dancer to undress for me, but I but I'm waiting in like that dark, like. Le- there's like a little waiting area before you go into the room, and so they 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 had one of us be, sit in, sit in the waiting area and like flip through old pornos, get, and the other person was in the room, you know, t- having a dancer undress in front of them and dance with them and stuff like that. So I'm flipping through gay porn, gay porn, <laughs> while my boy while a woman is undressing in front of my boyfriend, and it was one of those moments where I, where I I was just like, you know, I have a this is a really strong relationship.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so my, my boyfriend and I also went to that show, but within the first five minutes, a woman had like grabbed his hand, but he was like, bye, and then he just was gone. I didn't see him for the rest of the show. <laughs> um, but he also had the woman who uh, stripped down in front of him. I didn't have any of those experiences. I don't know. You I, didn't I get mean, the Cabana boy to strip no, for you? No, none of what? that. What? No. Justin got all the sex stuff, and I got none of it. That's oh, outrageous. Yeah. You need to go again, yes. obviously. Yes. <laughs>
5: Where's the Cabana boy? Where's
3: that Cabana boy? <laughs> I demand nudity. <laughs> in a storm
4: in there.
5: Yeah, like Star Wars Pete. It was really cute. It was like nerdy porn in a way. Nice. I thought it was really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. 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 Oh my anyway. god. Chad <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> <I> almost spit. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> okay, Jose. Okay, I think the most emblematic anything of 2016 for me has been, in terms of art, has been that I started the year calling this show you are now here. And I'm like, you are nowhere. (laughs) So yeah, like definitely Andrew Schneider's experimental art piece just blew my mind. Like I I still find myself like almost, I don't know, like nine months after I saw it just walking down the street, I'll be like, what if this is all like fake? What if it's like the matrix? What if there's like people behind a curtain, whatever? So yeah, like that show has like um, stayed with me for so long.
0: Awesome. Okay, what was your favorite non-theater performance, cabaret, comedy, music, etc., Liz? I saw Dolly Parton, and it was
4: the best, most pure happiness that I had all year. She's amazing. She tells her stories. She sings her songs. We had an amazing time. And when you think it can't get any better, she pulls out a tiny Swarovski-crusted saxophone, and she (laughs) plays along, and you're just like, what? What can't you do, Dolly Parton? I think she's just, she's pure goodness. And we need that, and I love her. Cool. I'm going with <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I'm <don't> thinking <laughs> no, that was genuine. That sounds I'm
0: awesome. Just- <laughs> I'm going with Martin Creed, the back door at Park Avenue Armory. This he's a mostly a visual artist, although he's also a musician, and he did two. Well, he did a series of live performances in connection with the visual art that was on display there, where he played music with his band. I went once. Loved it so much, went back a second time, really, really found uh, an artist that I connect with deeply, and I highly recommend checking out his music if you need some, like, angry, shouting music uh, to deal with some of your rage at this time of year or this post-election time.
1: I have two, because I'm not sure if my number one qualifies, so I'll... Count it by saying that um, I saw recently uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones uh, do a solo concert at Joe's Pub. Uh, For those who don't know, she is uh, currently in the Broadway cast of Hamilton and has been playing Mariah Reynolds and Peggy. And that's kind of all that I knew about her. And then she did this solo show at Joe's Pub, which I just kind of went to. Um, And she is like... She is fire. She's an unbelievable performer. Her voice—I don't—I can't remember the last time that someone's voice and interpretation of songs, because it was mostly covers that she did, so won me over. I was like, this person is a real, genuine artist, and I'm very excited to see if anybody, casting directors, etc., like clue into that. Because if I think if her talents are used properly, she could be like an Audra McDonald-level... Pro- I mean, she's. I mean, I cannot overstate how amazing and impressed I was by this concert. The, the one I was going to say is um, also at Joe's Pub um, slash a lot of other places around the country is uh, Mike Daisy's The Trump Card, which is a monologue he's been doing for the last six months or so, sort of leading up to the 2016 election. That was his monologue essentially about the origins and the real dangers of Donald Trump, and that monologue started out as one thing, and it is obviously over the course of the last few months' events, changed dramatically. Um, Not only in its relevance, but in its content. And uh, so I've I've never seen one of Mike's monologues change that much by necessity over the course of being performed, and I was just really blown away by it. It's it's my favorite thing that he's ever done.
2: And for listeners, you can... Hear that monologue on Mike Daisy's podcast, which is called Everything is Fiction, and you can watch it on Slate.com. All stories, all are, stories fiction. are fiction. Oh, sorry. Yeah. What I what I call it? Everything is fiction. Uh, all stories which, are fiction. That's just Thanks, how I feel. Right. Nice <laughs> uh, and, and and I just, I want to second that. Like, I yeah. I watched it just after the election, and it was hard, but also, like, cathartic, I think, to watch it. Yeah.
3: yeah. I third that. And also, it... Like Mike, and it's so it's so funny watching Mike's Twitter account after the election because before he, he didn't he like everyone else didn't think Trump was going to happen and then it did and now he's looking at his monologue thinking oh my god I predicted this and I didn't even know I did it
6: mm-hmm.
3: yeah we Mike should be a pundit I feel like he's he's probably better <laughs> Nate than Nate Silver at predicting things <laughs> at this point but anyhow my so this was the year but I saw Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when you see Beyonce, you know, like nothing else can really measure up. She just eclipses everything, everything else, at, everything around her and everything else in in your life. And so it's, it, that's probably the best thing to have, hap- have happened to me this year, <laughs> especially because it, this was outdoor at City Field and it was like, at night it was fifty degrees. I was wearing shorts because I wanted to dress information and Beyonce does not wear pants. So
1: Oh my god, that's true. Yeah. I just realized that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, she's
3: wearing but pants. I have those somewhat. legs, I
2: wouldn't wear pants either.
1: <laughs> sensational point. Sensational point.
3: And but then she's in front of me performing also without wearing any pants and for three hours. And it's kind of sprinkling a little bit and really cold. I'm just thinking, you know what? I shouldn't I shouldn't be worried about my life or complaining because she's working so hard and I need to, like, step up and be better. And so that was a really motivational moment for me.
2: Beyonce is the true spiritual inheritor of the legacy of Elaine Stritch. <laughs> <laughs> no pants, hard work.
3: <laughs> exactly. All right.
5: Okay, so two of my favorite um, non-theater theater things were at the movies actually, and it was when theater people and a choreographer did movies, and I was like, "This is mind blowing." Uh, one of them was Jerome Bell's *Veronique Dwanot*, which is like a one-woman show. Basically, it's filmed about a dancer of the. Uh Paris Ballet, who's about to retire, and she's always been like a supporting dancer. She never got to be the star. So he he makes this whole movie about her and how she's like, you know, talking about her experiences as a non star. And by talking about being a non star, she ends up being a star by the time the movie's over. So I was like, mind blowing. And then also like episode seven, eight, and nine of Life and Times by Nature Theater of, of Oklahoma, which were mm. like went from like Citizen Kane to this crazy, girl like spiritual musical about 9/11 and grandparents. And then my favorite one, which was like the 10 minute hip hop video, which had them all like the, the troop uh, wearing uh, like colorful Adidas track suits while parading around in a small like Austrian town and singing hip hop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful.
5: I
2: have a comedy answer, which is so out of character for me. Uh, but this year I went to see Hari Kondabalu when he played Brooklyn. Uh, he was great, but what I want to talk about is his opening act who is uh someone i'd never heard of before named Alicia Sanchez who is a I believe Seattle based comedian uh who is uh she identifies as non-binary and is Latinx is that how you pronounce that i've only ever written it oh, um,
3: Latinx okay it's, and it's easier to, to pronounce than latina
2: o right <laughs> and uh and just so funny and so yeah, she. I, I think she I, I think I just particularly related to her because she talks a lot about like growing up as sort of like the geeky nerdy kid who like didn't hit the point where you, where, where you like bloom into like you, know, you cut your hair and suddenly you're popular she's like nope still geeky nerdy adult and like that's okay and like I have fun with that and uh, I don't know. It was just—it was just a breath of fresh air. Like I, for so long, I avoided stand-up comedy because I feel like, especially if you don't already know the comedian going in, it's just like you're asking for like racism and homophobia and all this stuff. Uh, and because I knew Hari Balu, I knew that that was not going to be the case for the show. Um, but to hear someone who just comes from such a different place to to start the comedy was just a breath of fresh air.
3: Yeah, that's usually also why, like I. I mean, I want to racially profile people, but that's why I tend to gear towards like comics of color, like Ali Wong and or like woke comics like Louis C.K. So you just Yeah, because you never know. You (laughs) never know. It can be very triggering.
0: Next question. What was the best musical you saw this year? I am up to start this question. So I had two on my list that I was choosing between Hades Town and the Wildness. Loved both of them. Have already talked a little bit about Hades Town. I saw that three times. Uh, I saw the Wildness twice. So I guess I'm going with Hades Town. Right.
1: The best music I saw this year was actually when I saw like two days ago, uh, which was, um, a performance at NYU of a new musical by Cesar Alvarez, uh, called noise.
0: Oh, that's very mm. exciting. And,
1: uh, it was, yeah. it's so they're doing this, uh, the Playwrights Horizons theater school is doing this series of performances, uh, that feel like workshops, uh, for the next few weeks. And it began with this performance of noise by Cesar Alvarez, which is hard to describe, but it's basically this, uh, a, a, a look at the origins of music and how it directly relates to how uh, human beings organize society, and that the same rules apply, and the, the, the rules uh, inform each other and contradict each other in all these great ways. And it's this band of uh, NYU um, uh, post-grad students uh, interpreting uh, this, this piece. It kind of becomes this love-in, by the end of it. And uh, I know this is uh, predicting a question to come, but it was the first and only time that I genuinely wept in a theater this year. Um, it was exquisitely beautiful. It was proof to me, as if I needed more proof, It says her Alvarez is one of the most important and most talented and most unique uh, composers uh, alive. And it's he, I don't quite, he's able to be both incredibly intellectually heady and also just deeply humanly uh, full of heart. The the way I described it to someone yesterday was if if Karl Marx and Bugs Bunny had a baby, (laughs) it would be Cesar (laughs) Alvarez. And,
6: oh, and
1: like that, it, I just, I, I cannot, I hope, I hope and I pray that it, that more people will get a chance to see it because it was just exquisite. Uh, d- and about
3: Town, Lindsay, I remember when we were talking about it, you said it was really basic. So is it now I've no longer
0: basic? No, it's still basic.
6: <laughs> but
3: sometimes you like basic stuff, that's okay. I'm coming yeah. around.
0: But it's the best I saw this year, too.
3: Yeah, which says something about the state of musical theater, as always. And uh, But, okay, so I, I'm going to say wildness, even Damn though. Damn
0: it, I was going to say wildness. Oh, now, you can. <laughs> now you can't. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, can, you can add your ditto. That's okay. i I'll hold my hands away from the table. Sorry. But you can't slap the table when you do it. Fine.
3: Lean, lean back casually, like Jackets. We keep scooting back. <laughs> <laughs> go and, on. Sorry, you- go ahead. And the reason is it's it's very rare for me to go to a musical and like really like what the music is actually good in my opinion. <laughs> and so I just there's they're such a talent uh, uh, Lauren Warsham and Kyle Jarrow. They're such a talented team of performers and music like and performers and writers that and I just wish they did more. They they I just wish they made more musicals. Because like Kyle sounds so, sound is so like contemporary rock and pop which without and it's not forced because most of the time when you have when you try to put contemporary music into the theater it just sounds it sounds like you're ripping off of it, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound organic but for the wildness like I just it's for the one the rare album that i just listened to over and over again because the songs are so catchy and they're so uniformly strong across the board especially that last one which i've been listening to quite a bit these days you know everyone will die it's uh, oddly comforting right now (laughs) it's super comforting
0: it goes great with young jeans lee we're gonna 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 die die. yeah it makes a great pair yeah and (laughs) i actually have a spotify song list i can forward you with songs Similar to this. <laughs> oh, so, cool. I want that. <laughs> I feel like, we, yeah, maybe that could be the
3: Christmas, the theme of the Christmas party. You know? <laughs> You're know, you going to die. Happy we're holidays. All, you know, we're all going to die, so it's going to be okay the next four years. Like, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. And then everyone comes up with a very real answer. <laughs>
3: yes.
1: That's the game.
3: Mm. Yeah. But. And that's just performance wise, I just love that in the round staging, that doesn't get done very often off Broadway, even though you can do it. Like that that's the reason Hades Town was so powerful as well. And and also Lauren Worsham, big girl crush. She's on my Kinsey scale.
6: Awesome.
3: But and she was pregnant at the time and so it was just just so powerful to see a show about two strong women it's like singing opposite each other with like their mics in their hands, like very fiercely. It's just I'm I to see it again. I feel like it would make me feel better. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah.
5: So I can never. I mean, picking a single musical is always like Sophie's choice for me. And but th- what surprised me was when I was trying to, out of all the musicals that I saw this year, when I was trying to come up with like the two that I really, really love the most. They are like at complete opposites of like the spectrum. And like I'm wearing my American Psycho T-shirt. And one of them was American Psycho, which is like one of the coldest, most like clinical. It's like, I don't know, like that Nip Talk TV show with like synths and like blood thrown at you. And I feel that now if that show would was still open, all everyone in the audience would be wearing like Make America Great Again hats. Mm-hmm. And it's like so gross and it tells us about everything that's wrong with the world. But it's also in a way that's like smooth and perfect and there was so much art in it, even though the characters were awful. And like I was like, I don't know how I survived every time that I went to see it because I saw it a few times.
3: Whoa! Yeah, you like Dunkin' Chic*?
5: Well, I like—I really liked *American Psycho*. I'm not sure if uh, that's too general, so no trick <laughs> questions. Yeah. But the other show that I really loved this year, which is the opposite of *American Psycho*, was *Shuffle Along*. Which is about the people that the American psychos have been oppressing and still keep oppressing. <laughs> but it's a show with like the, the urgency of the message in that show, even though there were some troubles with the book and like structurally it was all over the place. But it felt like a story that just needed to be like told in any form that you know that they could come up with. And I mean we had freaking Audrey McDonald tap dancing while pregnant, which was amazing. Uh, but yeah uh, I don't know like it's this contrast between like the warmth of one and the coldness of the other that uh for some really strange reason have made me love them both in equal ways.
3: It was a great year for ladies performing while
2: pregnant. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Which leads me to talk about Dear Henson uh which Ben Platt has been performing while pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> uh no Let's start that rumor. <laughs> Uh, I saw Dear Evan Hansen almost a full year ago at Second Stage, and I, I wasn't prepared. I, by By intermission, I was so cynical and sort of like, oh, I see what they're doing. And then the second half of the, of the show won me over in a way where, again, like I'm sobbing. And I can't wait to see it on Broadway. I'm going this coming week. Uh, and it's just, it's a show that... I love for its sincerity, which is so out of fashion um, and uh, and that it doesn't it doesn't tie up things in a nice easy package at the end, which I appreciate it it deals with some big serious questions and and lets them linger yeah.
4: And yeah, I was gonna say the wildness as well not because I think it was my favorite I wasn't I liked the music a lot. I'm not sure how I felt about the plot, but having seeing Laura Worsham as a Strong, powerful, kick-ass pregnant woman owning the show was just incredible. Like it
0: couldn't beat that. Loved it. Moving on, what was the best play you saw this year, Jack?
1: All right, I this could honestly be one of like three or four plays that I sort of like start on my list of things I saw this year. But the one that I'm feeling the most vividly right now is a play called Kentucky by Leonorica oh, Winkle. Yeah! <laughs> Leonica Winkler is just flat out uh, one of the most interesting, talented uh, playwrights uh, in America, and uh, her sort of big, splashiest New York debut was this year at the Ensemble Studio Theater, uh, the co-production with uh, P73. Uh, Kentucky, which is, uh, I mean, it was just, it's it's funny, it's an enormous step forward in terms of the versatility of Leah's writing that I've been following for years and years. Um, I laughed harder at that than I think I laughed at anything this year. I... (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 was, it, I I felt such joy in the size of the cast. It's just like 20,000 people in that show. <laughs> and it, that in itself felt like a rebellious act to be in a small space and have all those people on stage. I just flat out loved it. Um, and I can't stop thinking about it. I'm super glad that folks in LA are getting a chance to see it because it's at East West Players right now. And I thought it was a shot across the bow for the American theater. And like Leah is here to stay. That's it.
3: I love Leah's writing too, just because, like, she, she's really adventurous with with form. Because Kentucky's like, there's a little bit of singing and there's a little bit of, uh, there's a lot of monologuing, but it's not. There's uh, a talking cat. There's a talking yeah. cat. Yeah, but the but the but the monologues don't like monologues for me are kind of lame most of the time, and I really like I just really enjoyed it as a package, and so please produce her more. She she's just so she's just telling stories about an America that we need to know more about. Anyhow.
1: An America that she's still wrestling with, which I think is one of the strongest cores of that play.
3: Yeah. Anyhow, this will come, my favorite play will come as no surprise, even though technically I saw it last year and it was my best of last year. But you know what? I've seen it four times, so I'm just gonna <laughs> roll it over. And that would be Viet Gan by <laughs> Queen Nguyen because it is about his how his parents met in a refugee camp in 1975, post the Vietnam War. And it was also like, I, I hate Miss Saigon with a passion, uh, the fire of a thousand a thousand supernovas because it has fake Vietnamese, it's, it orientalizes like Vietnamese women, it makes them sub- sub- subservient and pining for white men. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, but Vietcon fixed all of that for me because now, like, we actually have positive representation of Vietnamese people in some medium, and no one's shooting at us or, you know, or trying to save us. We're saving ourselves, and that's really important for me, especially because I grew up not not seeing that, and so everyone should have that in the theater. Anyhow, and also I've been telling. And they've, his parents remind me of my parents just because of, like, shit went down after the war. And so it's just seeing resiliency on the stage from, margin, from, a, marginalized, from a marginalized people. That's just so powerful.
5: My favorite play, by all means, was Anna Ziegler's <laughs> Boy. Which I saw almost a whole year ago oh, as well. Yeah. I'm so uh, mad I missed that. I really wanted to see and that. The, the reason I, I have a huge crush on all of place, like even though I've only seen a few of them on stage, but it's because if I try to describe what the shows are about, they sound like you know like soap operas or like ooh like issues um, shows. But then when you see them, they are so delicate and and like I, I don't know like I feel like if I talk too much about Boy, for instance, I'm gonna like break it if that makes sense. Because this show was about? Um, Twin brothers, uh, who one of them when he's a baby, he has a freakish accident and loses his his penis. So his parents uh, follow the advice of a doctor who tells them to raise the boy as a girl. So he grows up as a girl and he has no idea that at one point he was a boy. So it's this beautiful thing about seeing him grow into adulthood, not necessarily boyhood or girlhood, but just like adulthood and being who he is. And I thought it would be, like, you know, a show about, um, ooh, like, is he going to have to, like, pick sides or is he going to feel, like, betrayed? But instead, it's a show about this person falling in love with someone else and figuring out what love is. And there's this uh, recurring motif of a kiss, of a poem about a kiss. I don't remember by whom. Uh, And I don't know. I felt that the show connected to audiences i guess well i connected to me definitely beyond any sort of like gender cages or gender boxes like at the end of the show i wanted to make out with everyone <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, i'm gonna talk about Skelding crew by dominique morceau which i may have seen at the end of last year but the new york times reviewed it in january so i'm counting it for this year <laughs> uh and it it i saw it in its initial run in the atlantic's like secondary stage buried deep underground. dungeon space is I yeah. call it yeah. no Wi-Fi. Uh, but, but then they brought it back to their main stage. And uh it's just it was a show that just hit me so hard about kind of like both everything that's wrong with with sort of the dying edges of the American economy, but also everything that's so right about the people who are trying to do their best despite that and look out for each other. And uh, you know, it, 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 takes place in a, uh, in an auto factory, which is just like a world that is so far away from my world that I don't really know anything about. Uh, and I just felt so connected to these people, like as people, uh, it really, it blew me away. And I, I was so, like, I was so thrilled that they brought it back and so disappointed that the rest of the world didn't seem as taken with this play as I was like, I, I mean, it did well and people liked it, but like you know if it were my choice i would have handed it the polar surprise right away like i just i loved it, that play
3: i feel like they should put it in rep with lenage's sweat yes. and just be like rich people this is the problems of america this is what the people this is the middle america everyone's talking about that's rebelling so you need to understand it understand them and just make them sit down and watch it well if we're programming
0: in rep i'd like to add uh kira Allegra Hootie's Daphne's Dive mm. to that, because I think those three plays, which I don't love all of them equally, but I think like they would make an amazing trilogy. Well, I'm glad you guys already said Kentucky
4: and Vietgone because those were on my list. Uh, there were just so many good plays this year. It was kind of hard, but I think I'm going to go with small mouth sounds, because it was, it was just... They did so much with a really simple conceit that you think, how the hell are they going to do this and sustain it uh, for as long as they do? And it was the show that anytime I knew people coming to town, I was sending them to go see and everyone really enjoyed it. And it was just a a really well done, great to look at play. I have to say that because there's not an awful lot of dialogue, but it was just like, (laughs) I don't know. It really affected me for something that was such a simple premise
0: it just really worked.
3: Rachel Chapkin's a genius, too, so Yes, that helps. yes, I do. I love Rachel
2: Chapkin.
0: Am I correct in saying we have not cited a play by a white man?
2: I didn't. Did you? No. no. Oh,
3: no. who wrote boy? Oh, woman.
2: Oh,
0: okay.
3: Oh. All right. Good. Yay, it a really good year for playing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, producers, take note. <laughs> just let us produce your season. Oh, <laughs> I, I can I put it in a theater. Theater. token
0: no, white guy, bother. though. I mean. Okay.
1: <laughs> what you, was yours, Lindsay?
0: Oh, I was on Kentucky. Oh, okay, great. But yeah. I would have joined Skeleton Crew. I would have joined Viet Gong. I would have joined Small Mouth Sounds. I didn't see Boy, or I'm sure I would have been on board with that, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was your personal goal for theater in 2016? Now, we have some first-timers here who didn't set goals for 2016, so I think we need to start with David.
2: Okay, so my goal was to read more plays. And uh, it's funny because because I, I have I buy a lot of plays, and then they sit on my shelf. <laughs> Um, and so the funny thing is, is that I have read a lot of plays this year, almost entirely from the library, not the ones that I bought and said Like, I was listening to myself <laughs> on the podcast last year, and I talk about the big Annie Baker collection that I bought and the big Terrence McNally collection that I bought. Both are sitting untouched on my shelves still, but I have read, like, I think everything that Sarah Rule wrote. I uh, I went back and read a bunch of gay plays from the 70s and 80s, uh, which was really fascinating. Just, I, I, you know, the New York Public Library has sort of a shockingly sparse selection of plays. The Brooklyn library is a little bit better and I've just, I've just enjoyed it as a way to sort of expand my understanding of playwrights. I've, I've gotten to know too late in their careers to understand a little bit more where they're coming from. Um, Sometimes plays that I've seen, I want to know what that looks like on the page. It's been a really great sort of mind expanding experience. I could certainly still do more of that, but um, I feel pretty good about that.
0: Cool. Congratulations on achieving your goal. Thanks.
4: <laughs> uh, so mine was a uh, no mo FOMO, which is I'm going to stop feeling like I'm missing out on stuff. if I can't buy tickets to everything. Isn't
2: that your goal every year?
4: <laughs> no, no, it was last year. It was don't buy tickets too late because then you will have FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> so this year I was like, I just have to grow and accept that I can't see everything. Yeah. Here, here. And I think I did pretty well. There were a couple of shows that I'm really sad that I missed. Taylor Mac is a big one. Um, but for the most part, I kept myself you know I I kept on a good theatrical diet you know I didn't get too burnt out sometimes I feel like I see too many shows a week and then by the end of it I'm just fried and yeah I I think I did pretty well I even had tickets to shows that I then canceled because I was not up to the content at that point in time I was just like I don't think I need to see this and then I would just cancel it and it felt great well
0: done self-care
3: is important it is
0: exactly Okay, I actually didn't go back and listen, but I'm pretty sure that I made the goal to see more theater outside of New York. Does that sound right, David? I think so. Sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I mean, I literally listened to it this morning, and I'm not entirely sure, but it David sense. doesn't
4: listen when he's not talking.
2: <laughs> That's not true. You, you had a whole thing about setting a theatrical calendar. Yes,
0: yes. Okay, I think I did achieve that a little bit. I went to the Fusebox Festival in Austin, and I well, plan to say more about that in the second half of the pod, but... Seeing theater outside New York is a great idea.
1: Yeah, that was a big thing for me this year. It was just by virtue of my job is... Traveling a lot more to see theater—that was really positive. I think my resolution last year was to see more theater. <laughs> Good
3: Lord!
1: It
2: was, yes.
1: Yeah. Well, how's that
3: even work? Do you like not sleep? I mean,
0: I
1: don't. Well, the the the, the answer though is that I kind of did some the, the you know back of the envelope calculation, and I think I'm on track to see almost exactly the same amount as last year.
0: Which probably means you're seeing the maximum like number 300 a human shows. can consume. Yeah, in it's an gonna end it's year. gonna
1: come. Look, in there so... are
2: always times when you can squeeze in that extra midnight performance or sure, like which I've done. Yeah. The, the 11 a.m. children's mat <laughs> Hours yeah, yeah.
0: might allow it, but human capacity may not. <laughs> right.
1: That's and why we go back to self-care, though.
0: Yeah. You're yeah. going to have to see the no. rockets just to like,
2: yeah. push yourself over the edge.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, and self-care has been a, a, a big thing for me this year as well. So, so yeah, it's coming It's coming in, uh, yeah, about the same number as last year. So I, it's a wash.
0: Okie doke. Next question. What is your personal ambition for theater in 2016? Deep, we'll start with you.
3: Uh, can I, can I think about this? Like I, I,
0: I couldn't figure it
3: out <laughs> initially. So if we go through the round, it's like, I'll think of
5: something.
0: Okay. Jose, do you want to go or do you also want to pass to no, the
5: will I'll go. Uh, originally I was going to be funny and say more musicals, but, uh, <laughs> now I've been thinking, you know, this year I've realized that, uh, I'm, and I'm really, really ashamed of myself for, for saying this, but I realized that I really know nothing about Latino playwrights and Latino theater not only in the States, but all over the world. Like, I don't know what's going on in Mexico. I don't know what's going on in South America. So my mission for next year is to learn more, to see more, to talk to more people, to find what's there. Because I was doing research uh, when I saw, uh, a few months ago, I saw the very first all Spanish musical that's ever been produced in New York. And I was shocked that I I went and like researched and I talked to people and they were like, no, we can't think of anything. This is it. And they were also like, you know, like surprised that Oh, oh! We did the first one. Like everyone thought that it existed for some reason, and no one else has done it. So, uh, I'm gonna like die fighting and trying to get more shows like uh, talked about. I don't know. I don't have money to produce them, Uh, but you know, people going to shows and people being aware that these shows are out there, and myself actually going to see them.
3: That's perfect because there's so many Latinx theaters in New York City. Yay! Let's go. (laughs) Just hang out, Repertorio Español, like. For, the, for you know the next year, oh,
2: yeah, definitely. <laughs> Holler at the Soul Project now that they're up and running. Yeah. Mm. Incidentally, one of my friends just saw in Mexico City there's a Spanish language production of Man of La Mancha going on, which he said was not only an excellent production but maybe the best production of any musical mm. he's ever seen. Oh, wow. So he's like on a mission now to get Lincoln Center to bring it for the summer festival. Oh, wow. um, that'd be great. Um, my goal is to have more interesting conversations about theater, both about the craft and about the meaning and how those inform each other i think that i get to do that when i'm here (laughs) when we're on the podcast and often otherwise our conversations are more like i liked it i didn't like it or you know this is what it was about and and i know that i'm capable of more of that and i don't need to save that only for like these structured opportunities where people are actually asking for it like we can have that kind of conversation in our lives too
4: Okay, so Jose, I think you and I can go hang out a lot next year because I want to see more theater that's not in English. Um, Some of the best experiences I had when I started to think about, like, when I was in college and I was traveling a lot, and I was seeing a lot of international theater um, where I didn't understand a word that was being said, and I loved it. I just could really appreciate the visual and everything else that was going on when you take away the language for me. So... I just am hoping to see some more shows that are in foreign languages that I maybe don't understand. Spanish I got a little bit, but I don't know. Let's go see something in Dutch or something. I don't know.
0: This year I've been spending a little bit more time on the – engagement side of the theater experience. I attended several PS122 long tables. David and I discussed one of those on a recent episode. Last night I went to something called Real Talk Kip Talk by PR agent Kippy Winston and it was like a live talk show and it was fantastic. Eliza Bent interviewed uh, a couple of female founders of businesses, Claire Mazur of a kind, and Marguerite Wade, Full Court. Then there was a round table of three playwrights, or no, two playwrights, Leah and Winkler that we've mentioned, Kusi Kram, and also Sarah Benson, their artistic director at Soho Rep. And it was a great conversation, really dynamic, very interesting. And I think that a lot of theaters in New York City right now are trying to figure out how to do things like this how to engage conversation feedback dialogue really the type of engagement you're talking about David mm. that is better than our average post-show talkbacks which are painful and often not productive and don't lead to intelligent insightful commentary
2: I've had oral surgery that's better than the average post-show exactly talk back. <laughs>
0: so I'm going to try to not shy away from things that I think might be painful nonetheless, but also really not just to attend, but also to consider how we on the podcast might engage in some of these types of activities, how I might help some theaters who are interested in moving in that direction. So that's sort of, it's not a very well-defined goal, but other than just to engage more and to encourage and support more engagement.
1: Okay, so I have two goals, um, Both, uh, one of which is professional and... Well, both of them are sort of professional. The first is to read more plays by uh, playwrights who do not have uh, or are not currently seeking MFAs. There are a lot of issues of representation around the types of playwrights that are getting produced in America, particularly in New York, and there's a lot of work to be done on a number of different fronts, but one of them that I've just sort of witnessed firsthand um, is uh, uh, sort of, is everyone, when they were talking about, you know, young up-and-coming playwrights exclusively, almost exclusively, going to the top flight MFA programs in this country, Um, which is great, not to discredit those, they're amazing writers, but it's, it is a definite, narrow cross-section of the types of voices that exist in the American theater. And so one of the things I'm going to try to do and help develop tools for is ways to identify playwrights who don't have the privilege of going to uh, top flight MFA programs, uh, seeing if we can expand the field a little bit in that way. Uh, and then the second one is uh, something that I decided I was going to do when I, start, when I took the job that I'm currently in, uh, which is that I'm going to write a play this year. Oh. Because I used to say that when I back when I was an actor, that everyone who's a casting director should have to go on an audition once a year to know what it's like. And as someone who reads and evaluates and sees and evaluates plays for a living, I know how hard it is to write a play, and I'm going to do that just as a way of showing myself, like, oh yeah, this is this is what it takes it is going to be a bad play it's not like i'm mean, this is not gonna this is not coming to a theater near you but you've it, written
2: before though right i have written yeah.
1: before but a very specific niche kind of theater that i still write um but this is will be sort of outside of that i'm gonna try to do something because um, i work mostly in like devised theater and and silent weird slapstick theater that i came from but
0: max will totally host a reading
1: yeah. yeah, right. Oh, yeah, and I have to have a reading of it. Like, that's the kind of thing, is that I spend so much of my time in rooms with playwrights who are suffering because they are at uh, readings that are designed and built for dopes like me to attend. And so I want to, yeah, I want to put myself through those paces um, just as a way of feeling it viscerally.
4: Look forward to you at uh, Under the Radar 2018.
1: That's your ass.
3: <laughs> okay, I thought of something. <laughs> Yay! Uh, okay, well, I, I guess it's like a goal I have every year, which is like to see plays like companies I've never been to. Like this year, I finally went out, to, got out to Bushwick Star, even though I hate going into Brooklyn, because I live in Queens. That's mm-hmm. just oh, there mean. You go. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, it's just really mean to host your show in there. Just, just. <laughs> and, and so, and then, there, but there, there's still, there's so much theater in New York. And then there, there's, uh, I have my roster that I really like of uh, uh, companies I always go to just because I really like their work. But, and that takes up, that takes up a good chunk of your time. And then the, the other part is like seeing up and coming writers and just experimenting with, you know, like, People that I've never heard of, and so there's that portion of it, and then there's just like, like, and then there's certain things that I've never, certain companies I've never been to, just because I don't really have time in between those two things. So, like National Theatre of Harlem, or and also once again, really hard for me to get to. You know, I'm just really lazy, (laughs) and so (laughs) sometimes okay, if I had like go down and up to get to you, it's just it's gonna it's gonna be really hard for me to muster up the energy to go so and next year i'm gonna t- try to continue to see plays by companies that i haven't been to yet so that is my goal
0: good okay last question for this segment what is your hope for the theater community in 2016 2017 20- oh i didn't update the question i just left it the same as last year <laughs> <laughs> New year, new question. Twenty seventeen. Uh, Liz, why don't you start? Okay, so
4: I, I don't know if everyone's going to go a little political, or it's just me. Me, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, there was this outpouring of the opinion right after Trump. that Everyone was like, "Oh, but there's such like such great art comes out of struggle, and such great and yeah." And I hate <laughs> that idea. I hate the idea that Trump is somehow going to be great for artists because I just don't believe that's true and frankly i saw a lot of really great art under obama so my hope is that these artists that were producing such great work in the last 8 years and and beyond that i've seen really thrive can continue to do the quality work that they are doing despite trump i don't want them to be having to work against the system i just hope that they can flourish in their own ways despite like i just oh, i hate that idea that Artists have to be oppressed to produce good art. They don't. Like, let's celebrate our artists.
0: Given our current crisis of horrible things happening, I guess I have two hopes for the theater community. One is that I think that theater and performance is especially adept at showing us the kinder side of humanity, and so I hope that it can show us a way forward, of way to bridge the many divides that plague our country and then the other is that i hope they can also show us something joyful to alleviate some of the misery because it feels really awful most of the time right now and i think you know that's a lot to put on the theater community but i'm really hoping (laughs) because i need it badly
1: we are capable of tremendous joy, and that's a that's a hope is that we continue to find the reservoir of that. Um, for me, it's I, I I hope that we yeah sure I guess this is like the what do we do post Trump kind of thing. <laughs> um, so I'll answer it in that context, uh, which is I hope that we continue to expand the idea of what American theater is. Um, in a lot of different ways. I think that in New York, especially, we've been doing that pretty steadily and we need to have a lot more work to do. Uh, But I think out in the regions too, um, we need to continue to expand what American theater is and uh, continue to expand what an American theater audience is. Um, That's heavy on my mind. Um, And then also, yeah, keep the joy machine running. It is and by that, I don't mean, let's have more tap dancing. Um, Although, nothing wrong with more tap dancing. <laughs> I, I mean, we can never have enough, I think. But I, what I mean is is uh, theater has an incredible power to entertain. And a lot of things can happen to the human mind once it's entertained. And so I hope that we continue to um, find fuel for the joy machine.
3: I'm going to pony... Uh, uh, pony. Um piggyback Piggyback, yeah this is something about writing livestock I I I grew up in California we don't have livestock in California uh anyhow uh I'm, I'm gonna piggyback on that point with a little bit more specificity which is stop producing plays about rich white people and presenting them to rich white people because if we want theater to be a less elitist art form, then we need to expand our definition of what a universal quote unquote American voice is. Mm. Like I've literally, I, I got an email to invite me to Rancho Viejo at Playwrights Horizons and I looked up the summary and I was like, yeah, no, I can't do this anymore. I cannot sit into this, this theater and, and complicitly endorse it just by being in there and and make people make artistic directors think, oh, this play, the plays like um, plays about rich white people are so successful. Let's program more of them. No, the reason people people of color and poor people don't go, don't go to the theater is because their experiences aren't reflected on the stage. And people want their experiences to be reflected on stage because it validates your experience and makes you feel included in the conversation. And so, if you have plays about rich white people on Broadway, those are the people who are going to see the play because who. Because why do what? What poor person wants to see rich people on stage having real estate issues or family issues? Like it, like it pales in comparison to what marginalized people go through. So it's just it's like I cannot come. I cannot empathize with that anymore. Like I'm refusing to do that in 2017. And so the and so theaters need to program better, program more diversely, program more things like sweat. Vietgone, Kentucky, like all the plays we mentioned in this episode so far, and they also need to be better at ha- at putting like non-rich white subscribers. Cause I, when I go see Sweat or Viet Gone, I want to see those kind of people in the audience. I don't want because if you're just having rich white liberals in the audience, you're just preaching to the converted. And so if if you're producing something like Sweat, freaking go out into the community like sponsor some tickets and make it available to the people who like the poor middle class people actually poor people in your city and and make them see that this is an art form that includes them that will validate the experience of their lives that is listening to them because if you don't do that then theater has failed
2: and it can't just be like your one outreach show a year.
3: Exactly. It needs to be consistent. You can't just say, oh, we program, we program that play about black, what, poor black people and our audiences didn't really like it. And so we, we're really, you know, we don't really want to do that because that's risky for us. It's like, you know what? Theater is supposed to be risky. We're not for profit. We're not gonna making money. None of us are making money <laughs> to do this. And so freaking program better art. Like, don't. No. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to your rich white play. No. No. I re- I refuse.
0: <laughs> Nodding heads and clapping.
2: Yeah, we all 100.
5: Uh, I guess I'll fall, I'll pony piggyback on all and you. I'm getting I, my alpaca ready. Yeah. <laughs> they have those in California. Because <laughs> we'll like yeah, what the
3: clown car together. What,
5: one of the things that people keep telling you as a critic is like you know like great art is universal, but you know what? Fuck that. It's it's not. Uh, and I I found myself like being so moved by seeing dramas you know like house, I call them real estate dramas where there's always like they're always losing their house uh and like there's like arguments over thanksgiving or whatever family <laughs>
3: secrets yeah. of someone having an affair or some shit like that
5: yeah but when i go see something like the humans which is a really good play i'm like i respect it but then when i see those same things happen in like familiar kentucky head of passes viet gone i i feel like that they're talking to me like directly to me i feel touched i feel Excited. I feel sad, which are things that I never get to feel when, I, when I'm seeing the white real estate dramas. So, but also beyond what I'm seeing on stage, I think it's time that the theater community also starts, you know, not going only by, you know, like by what the times and like what the white critics say. It's time to start reading bloggers. It's time to start looking for alternative voices like you know like because whether we like it or not all the white straight male critics are going to be saying the same things and sometimes i'm not going to defend them but maybe they really don't know better this is what they've been saying this is what they've been writing their whole lives so they don't get things so it's time for people to say you know what i'm not going to read your column i'm not going to read your review i want to seek something else and uh which is why i'll be political and use this platform to make my official announcement no uh but yeah like starting next year i'm really not sure how and i'll probably at some point ask for help from the people here because i'm starting a mentorship program for critics of color because i think we need them and they're not out there and it's difficult to you know it's difficult for people to write if they don't know they're allowed to write about art So, yep. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's also
3: like stop privileging a fucking Times review. Mm -hmm. If it's like the thing is, like you can't, ours can't have it both ways. You can't hate on the Times for criticizing your work and not saying the right thing about it. But then also when they praise you, you use that as a marketing tool. Like you cannot have it both ways like that. And so if you want the Times review to be less powerful, fucking stop using it.
2: I feel like the Times <laughs> reviews have become less powerful with audiences. Yeah. yeah. And so it's weird to me that theater professionals still hang on every word and like investors still hang on every word because like I mean I know most most intimately about musical theater and like a lot of the New York Times critic picks in the last year have been big flops and and have been really reviled by everyone who's not the Times. And At some point like not that there needs to be uh, critical consensus but at some point, if, if everything your critic likes are, are not liked by anyone else, including audiences, like uh, the Times doesn't have to do anything about that. But the people who are listening to the Times should maybe at least like take that to heart and think a little harder about it. That is not to throw shade at anything that might have opened this week as a New York Times critic pick, but <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. anyway, uh, it's fine. I feel like uh, what I have to say has sort of already been said, but uh, I had written it down as I hope that we all keep making theater that matters in Trump's America and make sure that it reaches beyond the usual suspects. So amen to what everyone else said.
0: Okay, that's a wrap for our first half. We shall take a break. Donuts. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Max Smooth Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Deep is at Deep Thought. Jose is at Jose Solis Mayen. David is at It's D. Levy. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. And I'm at Lindsay Barron's. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can get to the store at maxmu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. We'll be back next week with the second half of our year end podcast. Listener questions. See you then.
6: Theatrical media.